0: Is the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime and I am really delighted to welcome Andrea Johnson to the podcast today. Andrea J. Johnson is the author of the Victoria Justice Mysteries about a trial stenographer turned amateur sleuth. Think murder she wrote meets the pelican brief. She holds an MFA in writing popular fiction from Seton Hill University and a copy editing certification from UC San Diego. She currently teaches creative writing and African-American literature at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, and her craft essays have appeared on several websites such as Crime Reads and Lit Reactor. Andrea also has contributed to the women's lifestyle websites, PopSugar and The List Daily. In addition, she's written a series of nonfiction books that include how How to Craft a Killer Cozy Mystery, Mastering the Art of Suspense, and How to Craft Killer Dialogue. And I will link to all three of those books in the show notes. Andrea, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasant surprise. Oh, I'm I'm delighted to have this conversation, and I'm going to start it the way I always start these conversations, um, and ask you: When did you tell yourself I want to be a writer, or I, specifically, I want to write a novel?
1: Well, it was in 2016. I was actually working as a court stenographer at that time, and I was looking around me and thinking. Gosh, I'm coming into work every day and I'm hearing all of these other people's stories. And I am actually getting a really good education in dialogue and how people talk and how to build sentence structure so that it makes sense. And I've always wanted to write something. I remember when I was eight years old and... Oh, gosh, I'm dating myself, but I'll tell you anyway, when I was eight years old, um, the movie Ghostbusters came out, and I thought it was a wonderful movie, and I heard the story about how Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd wrote it in two weeks, and I was like, oh, my gosh, if I could write something even as 1% funny as that someday, I would love it. But, you know, as a person of color growing up, I didn't know anyone who had gone into any kind of entertainment, let alone writing book. So it never occurred to me to be an occupation until I was a full-grown adult. So sitting in that courtroom one day, I'm like, I see these stories. I'm going to take one of these stories, or at least this idea of a court stenographer witnessing these stories and Uh trying to write the injustices that she sees. I think that in and of itself, even if I don't necessarily based on a trial, I'm saying it could be an interesting concept. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. it was actually something that someone wanted to buy. And it became what is the foundation for the Victoria Justice mysteries.
0: So there's a lot to unpack <laughs> there just in that. Um, you know, I, I can remember being taking a journalism class a long time ago in college and having to sit in a courtroom Um, to, to write up a story, but I sat there for three or four hours and just, you're right, the humanity and the conversations and, and, you know, the, just the, what you capture by sitting there and observing. And as a stenographer, you have to make sure it's all accurate and it's in there. So turning off the brain, but also having that part activated of what happened to these people? How did this go? You know, um, all that must have been fascinating. Absolutely.
1: absolutely. And, um, you know, it's one of those jobs where you go to every day and you feel so drained because you are taking in everyone's personal oh. story and you're, feeling for them, the empathy, and then you're sort of being repulsed by some of the things you hear. And um, I I just found that it was a fascinating resource, not in just, okay, storytelling, I've got great stories here. But like you said, witnessing humanity and how people interact with each other and how people build their character to make themselves look better or reduce their... Mm -hmm. Uh, role in a situation to make themselves perhaps look less guilty. There were a lot of lessons right. there, and I feel that uh, it really did help inspire me to take a step that otherwise I may have never taken, even though it was something that I wanted to do as a child.
0: And so, talk was it when you decided? Okay, I'm going to take this my I'm going to take this part of my brain that's been activated by my job, and I'm going to write. What did you? Given where you were, you were, you know, mystery makes sense, but were you always interested in writing mysteries or, or was this just fortuitous because of, of your job that it became part of, you know, where you were headed?
1: I think it was more so because of the profession that I
0: was in. The
1: story that I decided to tell made the most sense, but actually um, I should have been more honest with you in terms of what I actually started writing first. I did actually start writing romance first and actually had some success with that as well. Uh, It just made more sense as far as when you come to being a writer in this day and age, branding yourself and finding what niche you can successfully talk about and help people with, Mm -hmm. or at least, you know, promote your own interests and writing, mystery seemed to be more Mm -hmm. suited for my background. But as far as reading and writing, romance most definitely is also a big part of it, and you'll see if you read my mysteries that there is some sort of an underlying romance current just can't kind of get that out of my blood anyway.
0: no I, I i think that uh romance is actually a starting point for a lot of mystery writers and and like it's a different genre but like mysteries has the tropes and has the storyline has the rules, you know, and I'm using air quotes, but, you know, you have to understand the rules before you can break them. But it is, um, there are a lot of romance writers who also write mysteries and vice versa. They are different, um, but they're, they're, they're a very similar journey. I had a friend, the late, uh, wonderful writer Sheila Conley, who um, started in romance and and, you know, learned a lot by attending RWA meetings and and doing, you know, um, doing what she, she needed to do, but then found mystery. She's like, I just found that I wanted to drop a body once in a while. So (laughs) not necessarily how, you know, it works in romance. Um, so as you learned romance, how did you, how did you develop your craft? I mean, I want to talk about the MFA you got, because I think that's a fascinating program. Um, but, um, how did you develop the craft of writing? You were a big reader. A
1: big reader, a big observer. But the truth of the matter is exactly what you said, pinpointing it on the head. I I realized that what I needed for my journey, and I I just want to preface preface this by saying, I do not think that everyone needs to get an MFA. I think a lot of people, when they get on the spiel, the speech, they start pitching whatever program they went into. And though the Seton Hill program is an absolute fine one, and I do recommend it, That's not why I bring this up. For me, I am from a family of academics. And so it only made sense for me to go to graduate school and get those techniques. Plus the program that I did end up finding was a program that was well-suited for what I needed because as I mentioned at the start of this, I didn't know anybody who was a writer. And part of an MFA program, or at least the one I was part of, was pairing you with a published author who would be your mentor, who would guide you, giving you critique partners in the program who, if you are successful and a gracious person, you can carry outside of the program and help you with your projects as you move forward. So I needed that community. So for me, the MFA program was the foundation for... For me, actually learning to write. Now I'm a voracious reader. You can't see it from here because we're doing a an audio podcast, and um, I have my computer in a really smart place. But if you could see my desk, I have piles and piles of craft books, and I constantly am reading one. So Mm -hmm. I've learned very often from being a musician at a young age, and even with the stenography, you got to continue to practice. You can't think, oh, I've mastered this. And so I can just, you know, keep putting out books and and everything's going to be fine. You've got to up your game every once in a while. And so that's one of the things the program helped to teach
0: the other thing about Seton Hall, because uh, which uh, intrigues me, um, is that it is uh, well, two things for folks who are interested. It's a low residency MFA, so you don't have to uproot your life and go there. You can do it. You know, you you sh- you go a few times to the campus, but other than that, it's you do it from home, which I think is such a great uh, gift to people who you know can't disrupt their entire life but want to get this Uh, i also admire it because it um it deals with popular fiction and genre fiction and so many mfa programs and as an academic you you know this um uh you probably seen it in other places are so biased against genre and um and instead this program embraces it and says you know this let's (laughs) it's it's You know, it's literary fiction is not the only fiction that we're talking about. And we're not going to be, for lack of a better word, snobs about genre. And I I really admire that because I think that's a gift to folks who are in the program. Yes.
1: And thank you for picking up the ball on that, because that is the other great thing about that program. Um, Not only are they specifically geared toward commercial fiction, they encourage you to pick a tract. Um, meaning, you know, mystery, YA, science fiction, and they gear your mentor toward that so that you're dealing with someone who's writing the exact same genre, not just someone who is published. And they also make a point of bringing in fabulous artists so that you can be on the cusp of whatever trends or uh, thought patterns going on in publishing so that you are doing what editors and agents are looking for instead of just, you know, kind of, you know, I, I'm trying to think of something that people used to do that they they don't do anymore. Like, you know, italicizing used to be a big thing, and now we don't really use italics very much to do certain things. Like, just getting little small things like that, or what's going on mm-hmm. in romance, or what's going on in mystery. I mean, during the time I was there, we had um, N.K. Jemison come in, like, right after she won her second hugo um we also had beverly jenkins come in um E. ryan like a bunch of people and um and, and agents too and editors not just authors coming in to talk on all these things and and you, you said it well i don't mean to overtalk it but i just wanted to, to let folks know that you picked up a, a good ball there that i kind of dropped in terms of the program
0: well you didn't you you didn't Uh, drop it at all but but this is as somebody who um looked at programs and took some some courses you know I was in a workshop once that was for literary I was one of two genre writers and I felt so shut down by the leader I didn't write for a year afterwards and so to be in a program that that supports what you want to do and also gives you the ability to understand the business of being published Mm. is such a gift as you're, you know, you're, you're devoting time and money to this. And, you know, of those two resources, I don't, I, I don't underestimate the importance of money, but time is such a valuable resource that to spend the time, um, on a, on a creatively, encouraging but also practical um writing journey I think is just an amazing thing to to take on because it's not a small thing getting your master's
1: (laughs) (laughs) no not at all not at all there's there's definitely work involved a lot of fun but work as well
0: and so you know you you mentioned that you come from a family of academics and you are in academia now does do you find that that gets in your way sometimes or is helpful in that you know in as you're crafting these stories as and you're doing things and I see you smiling because you know what I'm talking about is first academic writing is not is not can be creative but it's not always the easiest to to read <laughs> no
1: it, it, it isn't and and in that respect um you know when I first got my full-time teaching position, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have my summers free. I'm gonna become so prolific. But then, you know, like you say, you get caught up in having to do research projects with teams or you get caught up writing things that are more inclined to instruction than they are to the uh, genre or the feel and the fun and the fantasy that I was, uh, gotten into this profession in the first place. In. but uh, it is rewarding in the sense that when i am working with students because i'm fortunate enough to actually teach creative writing i get to reinforce in myself some of the ideas that i am trying to perfect I'm, i force myself to practice what i preach and um you know they say those who can't teach but actually think that those who can should teach because it teaches you to be even better and not to forget the lessons that you've
0: games yeah what i love uh hearing from you and that you've said several times is that you never master this and that you always have to keep learning and i that's such a gracious gift to give emerging writers um that you know the best writers in the world are still reading craft books and trying something new and pushing themselves. It's, you never stop.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's funny um, that you put it that way because I just, well, not just last month, I went to the International Thriller Writers um, conference in New York. And that was one of the things that struck me so much was that people were talking about Oh, well, in my first and second book, I did this. But in my third book, I tried a new point of view because I'd never done it before. Or I um, set my story in a different place because I wanted to do X, Y, and Z research. So this idea of pushing yourself is not something just for newbies. It's for everyone. It really is going to make you more appreciative of the craft, more appreciative of the career. and. Spur new ideas, right? I I always tell my students, it's kind of getting a little off topic, but it's adjacent in my head. So I'll say it. I always tell my students, right, you might love mystery. You might love romance, but read some poetry because poets have to pack a lot of imagery in a small space. So get out there, experiment, read different things, try different patterns, even if you don't necessarily put it into your next book a short story at least try it so you're flexing that muscle getting into that gym every day and really working out so that you can be the best you can be
0: that's such great advice i you know uh such great advice Fray uh, snowden uh, another writer has uh it also talks about how important poetry is just for it, it, it what you said it's it's it lights up parts of your brain of how did how did she do that in one sentence <laughs> you know that would take me three pages <laughs> how did she do that um and letting yourself um think differently and and explore you know other other genres and and you know find things i i think that that's part of the joy of the journey yeah yes. wow. so how would you talk about your series. Murder She Wrote meets Pelican Brief is a perfect tagline. Uh you know, perfect how you know, gives people a sense. But um do you tend more towards cozy or more towards thriller? Are they cozy thrillers or um thrillers uh without, you know, Find your thrillers. <laughs> well,
1: that's that's something that we were struggling with initially when we um, put this series out. But I always articulate it to people as a cozy series because at the heart of it, that's what it is in the sense of if we think of cozies as having certain tropes, you know, allowing the audience to play along, make sure that all of the clues are there out in the open so that they can uh, act along with the sleuth. Um, having the suspect pull up front, small community, it falls into all of those things. And the only aspect of it that I would say actually creeps into that thriller territory is the fact that it does have a somewhat legal setting. And we always think of Mm -hmm. things in a legal setting as either being dramas or thrillers. So in good conscience, I can't tell the audience it's fully cozy. And that's kind of why I talk in terms of mashup, Murder, She Wrote, meets. The Pelican Brief, because if you look at the Pelican Brief, yes, that's a legal thriller, but it's more about one, about documents and paperwork. And so that's where most yeah. of the thrills of this comes in, documents and paperwork, because it's about a poor stenographer. But short answer, it's a cozy series. And I would say if I introduced myself to someone, that I'm a cozy writer with a costume series.
0: Do you... Find, uh, if we, you know, we already talked about the genre bias, but even within the mystery genre, there can be, uh, a bias about cozies and, and that, you know, not taking them as seriously or not, um, you know, they're not, I, I've been, I, I, for lack of a better word, um, uh, as important as the domestic suspense or the thriller or the traditional mystery or, or a million other things um and I, I I have a cozy bias um in some ways I do think that cozies as as you've mentioned as yours do uh, deal with very serious issues um but they they they're about justice and and you know they're they've set up expectations with the reader that things are going to be all right but it doesn't mean you're not going to cry in the middle of the book or feel for these characters or, or something else. Um, do you, so I love that you're embracing the cozy, but do you find that there's some pushback, um, on that genre? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I've had people tell me flat
1: out, I don't read cozies and, and turn around and walk away from me. Like that level of just, you know, I'm not even going to entertain you as a serious writer type situation. And, um, I was, I was warned of that actually going in not to talk about my books in terms of being cozy, just talk about them in terms of being a traditional mystery or a mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some respects, I would pass that along to anyone else, but I am very staunch in saying cozy mystery personally, because there are people out there who very much love it. It's, it's a big industry. And anyone who wants to learn how to write it, there are certain things that need to be done. And so I want people to know that, okay, there aren't a lot of resources out there using that moniker for the very reason that you stated. And so I want to be uh, sort of a beacon, a lighthouse to help anybody who wants information on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And I feel strong enough that The community that loves this, just like any community that's out there these days, that's why we have so many podcasts. That's why we have YouTube channels that are devoted to certain things. The community that's out there for Cozies is very, very strong. So anyone who's really interested in writing and is willing to perhaps stand up to any bias they may face, because it is definitely out there in terms of like agents and editors as well, not just writer to writer, but agents and editors as well. I've I've had... Quite a few say, yeah, I'll take a mystery that's borderline thriller, but if you're saying to me, yours is more borderline cozy, I don't want it. But if you're willing to state a course, there's a huge community of readers and editors out there who are willing to support you. You just got to be thick-skinned enough to know that's going to be another part of the the pushback you're going to get as a writer, because you're going to get some pushback anyway right, in in the terms of critiques and, um, you know, likes and dislikes, but this is another one that's going to be compounded, and if you're willing, it's
0: worth it. It is worth it. Um, So, as a writer, um, do you, you're working on your series, but do do you have other books, other series, other types of books that you're sort of noodling and that you're thinking, will you stay in the same path or, you, you you know, as you're doing this, you're also thinking, I'd like to write a thriller <laughs> or I'd like to try this next.
1: I am thinking that I'd like to try this next. I think I will stay in the path of cozies in terms of um, the series that I have. i mean, plan to continue the series as long as I can. Um, But as far as my mindset of what I wanna try next, I think I may actually want to either try um, a standalone thriller or maybe a story with a detective that's a little bit closer to being hard-boiled and have a series in that vein as well. And I say that because I'm finding that some of the things that I'm getting the most praise on are things that tend to deal a little bit more with social issues. I mean, you kind of brought Mm -hmm. it up when you mentioned before about my series, there are, there are some underlying things, like my series is circles around a protagonist of color, and um, a lot of the characters are people of color, and so when you do have a level of diversity in your book that's a little bit above the norm, there are going to be certain social issues that you're dealing with, and so I, I'm finding that lots of times in my writing, people are saying, well, this is the most interesting part, this particular um, issue or theme that you're dealing with, which is often a little bit heavier than cozies are normally considered a lot of because cozies are usually light and fun and are at least a smile on your face as you read them. So I'd like to just see where that goes and I do plan to give that a try.
0: Yeah. Um, It's a um interesting balancing act because as I as I said, I do think that cozies can deal with you know pretty important mm -hmm. issues. Um, But if you're really diving in or you're going on a journey it may be that you know it's going to take you on a more traditional mystery route or you know thrillers or suspense I mean they're all Mm -hmm. different um and also do you find as a writer that you you also want to set yourself some different goals as you're writing that another book I mean that's that's part of the joy of the journey, but the challenge, you know, now that you know how to do this, (laughs) you know, and you've been successful, do you think, Oh, let me try the 17 points of view story, or let me try the. (laughs) Yes, yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You you said it, it, you can't just stand still. I I think I've mentioned that before as well. And so I am interested in trying something new just for those reasons alone. But, um, yeah, so I do have a few ideas percolating.
0: Now, tell me a little bit about your process. How do you how do you start a, a book? You know, or or come up with an idea. Your series is what, I mean, you world built your series so that, you know, that that's a different place. But if you're starting something new or however, are you know, it's more than Potter or Panther, as I've had this conversation a million times on this. And and no way is right. No one way of doing this is right. The right, right. way. Right. Um, but how do you work? Uh, because, again, stenographer, academic, you know, <laughs> you've got you've got a different a different brains brain tools than other folks have. So so do you become the academic and do tons of research beforehand or, or you know, how, how do you write your fiction? Oh gosh, oh, bless you for saying that
1: <laughs> I've got some different tools, but I think I approach things uh, in the way that many people do in the sense that if I have an idea that really is Um, getting me excited and that's what it has to be first and foremost it's not just an idea that I think is clever or an idea that is currently going with whatever trend or an idea that everybody else is doing it has to be something that gets me excited because if it's not exciting me I'm not going to sit down in the chair every day so once I have something that gets me excited I just put down everything that comes to mind to me about it whether it be uh, lyrics from a song that connect or snippets from a movie, or actual dialogue that one or two of the characters may be speaking to me about. Or if I do have one character who's particularly loud, I'll do a character profile for that character, or maybe even a voice profile to just get them rambling about a topic so that I can hear what their voice may sound like, to get a a beat of some of the other things in their backstory that I can work on. Mm -hmm. And I just put all of that into a file. And once it's in a file, I let it sit there for a bit so that um, it can feel slightly foreign and I can look at it with fresh eyes. And then I go back into it and see if there are any inroads. If there's something where I can begin to build a larger plot, like what's the inciting incident? What about this is gonna be the uh, thing that's different from this person's normal everyday that's gonna start the problem that propels the story. And I try to pick that out and build little scenes. And I'm a note card person, so once, I've got that file done and I've got some inroads and maybe an inciting incident. And I start putting together as many cards as I can to put together some scenes. And after I have that, then I do have a little bit of outline trying to flesh out those scenes um, as much as I can. I consider myself a a plotter. And then I I go and I research as I go. Because if I research at the beginning, I will spend so much time on it. (laughs) that that will be all that I do, or I'll get burnt out on yeah. it, and then I won't do anything, so I try to get into yeah. the writing mode as quickly as possible, and as I've mentioned a dozen times over, I am an academic, so I do tend to get cerebral, so I try to push myself to keep keep writing, which I have to admit I'm not always successful on. I'm one of those people who will sometimes come sit down, read what I wrote the day before to get me kick-started, and end up editing that. So I have to constantly remind myself to keep going, but I try to keep going until I have something on the page that I can then, okay, this is like Anne Lamott says, crappy first draft. Now I can really mold this into something that may be viable.
0: And do you, do you um, write every day, or or you know, this as you're building this file, that's writing. I mean, all of you know, thinking is writing. I mean, it's all part of it. And then there's the the you know, writing that that crappy first draft is. In. Anne Lamont uses a little spicier yes, language, but we'll yes. keep it PG. Um, but um, you know, do you? um what's because you teach and that's and you're teaching creative writing which is a gift but it's and you're learning as you teach but it's also taking creative energy to help your students do their work which I'd imagine must make your work sometimes um hard you you know you know you're either energized or you're creatively exhausted and you're going to sit and watch you know terrible netflix series to (laughs) let your brain relax (laughs) yes
1: yes that absolutely does happen and so i'm um i'm not a proponent or i shouldn't say this way i'm not one of those people who's going to sit down to anybody and say you need to write 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 every day that's the ideal scenario we would all love to do it um most weeks I do, but I can't say, just like you said, I do every day because some days I come home and I had a bad student. And so I am drained. That's the ideal, But what's key is consistency. If you know that, okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays are the days that you're drained because you've got the bad student or whatever it is, you've got your mom that you've got to take to the doctor or your kids are with you, then Tuesdays and Thursdays, just let them be free days but work consistently for that hour, for that two hours, that half hour, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or Saturday, Thursday, and Sunday, whatever it is for you, just keep it consistent. That's, that's what I always tell people. But trying to stay consistent or working every day, I think is key, especially when you're starting something new, that's going to be a full length novel, or at least a very long novella or short story. I think it's, that consistency or the everyday is key because your subconscious mind can play with some of the things you're working on. And if you get too far away from it, then you have to really push to get ideas. I think if you're constantly working on it, then your brain is constantly thinking, oh, this is important. I have to come up with solutions. And it's easier to come up with solutions because your brain's doing it while you're cooking. And then when it's time to sit down, yeah. boom, bada bing, it's coming out on the page. But if you, only write once every week or so, your brain's got to do it while you're sitting in front of the computer and you get frustrated. And then you don't want to come back to the computer the next time. So no matter what it is that you think about writing, get that consistency, whether it's every day or every other day, just find that consistent time and try to make it the same time because then your brain... Like I said, starts to work with you thinking, oh, this is the time when the ideas need to come out. Even better, get a ritual to help the ideas come out. I've got a couple of friends who say that one of the things they do is that you know they light a candle, they burn Mm -hmm. some incense just to get into the mood and it becomes an actual ritual because rituals conjure up things. I mean, I'm not gonna get spiritual on you because we all believe different things, but whether you do or you don't, rituals breed. A consistency and that's what we need as writers we're going to be prolific right
0: yeah. I'm yes. rambling but yeah. you get me no you're wow. not rambling at all and, and, and there's so many gems in there one was um it's like working out the consistency is what's what's necessary because you're building a muscle writing is a muscle um and it's work you know it is it's physically exhausting sometimes Mm -hmm. but it's also you know you've got to keep activating your brain and also um a half hour i mean whatever you can do it doesn't have to be Three hours in a dark room with you know, right. <laughs> Bach in the background and no animals or children around me. It, it can be on your phone at a soccer game. If that's what you've got, you can, you know, you can, you can make it work for yourself. Right. right. As long as you're doing it, because
1: if, if you think about it, you just look, turn your brain off and you're a pretty good typist. Right. These days, we're all pretty good typists. You just turn your brain off for 20 minutes. I guarantee you. You can type at least 50 words per minute. You could probably get 500 words down in that 20 minutes. And if you do that consistently, Mm -hmm. if you're doing it three times a week, by the end of the year, you've got a book. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, The consistency is the key part. So, yeah, that's what I try to do, too.
0: Well, it's and it is hard to make time for ourselves um, to write, uh, especially for folks. You know, I talk to a lot of writers on this podcast, but they're people with small children or incredibly um, demanding jobs. That we need to give ourselves grace there too about the imperfection of the time, but writing should bring you joy even though it's work it should be something that gives you joy Mm -hmm. so don't deny yourself the joy right Right. well said yeah you have also written books on craft you've 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 used your creativity and your academia and written books on craft what 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 made you say I I want to I want to write this these books (laughs)
1: Oh, goodness. Do I be completely honest here? I think part of it was um, it, exactly what you're talking about. I was kind of getting frustrated, like sitting down for for a time and, and not really getting what I wanted out of it. And it seemed just easier to me because I do a lot of freelance writing as well. To just talk in a nonfiction way about something that I felt passionate about. And after a while, mm-hmm. I felt what it was was, oh, let me talk about some of these things that I've learned. Because I know if I struggled with it, there are probably some people out there who are struggling with it in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it all started, just trying to help other people overcome some of the same obstacles that I felt that had stood in my way at that particular time. And it felt easier to share those stories because at that point, that's what I was doing anyway in the classroom um, to share those stories on paper. And it sort of rejuvenated my love for sitting down in front of the computer every day.
0: Yeah, uh, well, that that's a, a gift to folks too, because as you mentioned earlier, um, constantly re-reading craft books or articles or going to workshops, uh, even after you've been doing it for a while, you're always going to learn something. Like somebody is going to approach something a little bit differently that's going to inspire you, because we have to build a toolbox and keep adding to it. Because sometimes what you've always done no longer works, and <laughs> so you have to figure out. Else, so I think that the gift of also giving people another craft book that they can dive into and explore for ideas, uh, no matter where they are on their journey, is also um, you know it's a service to the community. Yeah,
1: yeah. And hearing different things in different ways from different people often helps. I know I've I've heard some lessons before, and and it just depends on how a person says it or or how it's taught. Right. I'm a very much a visual learner, and sometimes you need a situation where you get lots of examples. It's not just enough to say you need to do X, Y, and Z. Show me X, Y, and Z in action. And so um, those are some of the things that I'm trying to do with my craft books, kind of reinvent the way things are told and find examples. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a big reader, but I'm also a big lover of popular culture. And so uh, sometimes it helps just to put things in the perspective of things we're dealing with right now as people in the, you know, 2020s. So um, that's another thing that's really helped me with working with kids. I I realize how old I am working with them. Um, (laughs) You know, I have to adjust some of my references. And so uh, that's also what I've done in terms of writing these craft books, sort of adjust some of the references that maybe can help today's writer.
0: Uh, do you go back and re-edit them or, or you know, look at them again? Or once you write them, do you, you know, do you think there'll be like a fifth anniversary edition? Well, I or, certainly plan
1: or? to. I don't think any of them have been out long enough for um, a re-edit, but I certainly plan to. That,
0: that is the goal. That's great. Um, yeah, I, there is tremendous uh, gifts in teaching and teaching. Um, and, and, uh, and meeting this next generation, because it's also very heartening uh, you know they're they're an amazing group of folks um but we have wisdom to 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 give them, but they're going to make it their own because they even absorb culture differently than than certainly i do i'm I'm much older than you are, but you know than than I did i mean it's it's an extraordinary gift to be able to spend time with people in their twenties, yeah. Um, so tell me um, what community has meant to you over your writing journey and and how you how you found your way into the different writing communities well
1: I think what you hear about needing a community is essential Uh, writing is a solo endeavor on the day-to-day yes but you need that community to understand where your strengths are because you want to Mm -hmm. lean into your strengths, but you also want to volley up your weaknesses or shore up your weaknesses. So um, your community helps you find that. So if you don't have a critique partner, then make sure to look for one. And a critique partner is someone who is also in the business. A critique partner isn't mom, a critique partner isn't your boyfriend because they're going to be looking at your work through loving eyes. Try to find a critique partner who not only writes in your genre, but who may be on your level or slightly above because you want someone you can be somewhat competitive with or someone who could push you or pull you up to their level or someone who could help you build goals to aspire to. Um, Ideally, you want more than one critique partner. So you can have one above you, one below you. So you can help, you know, each one teach one. This is a community after all. But to to me, like I said at the beginning of this, um, community was everything because I personally needed to be around people who I know were making it. Um, So... I am constantly going to as many conferences as I can to keep up with those trends that I may not be necessarily hearing about anymore now that I'm not in school. I go to conferences constantly to give back. I go to conferences constantly in order to um, meet people and gain new ideas and get new uh, people to work with and collaborate on. I think community is essential and anybody who's kind of poo-pooing the idea that like I got into writing because I want to be by myself or I got into writing because it's an easy way to make some fast money without having to get my car and spend gas, you're fooling yourself. You're going to run onto a roadblock if you continue that way. So embrace your community. It can only make you stronger.
0: Such an important um, thing to 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 reinforce and to, to, to talk to folks about. Uh, it does make you stronger. Getting your MFA, um, one of the benefits and as you said, you don't have to get an MFA to, you know, to learn a craft or do things, but you could join workshops. You could join writing groups. You can, you can develop in other ways, but finding that, that group of people who have the same interests, but come from the in your interests are what gather you. So they're everyone's coming from different rocks of life, but you all have the same passion is such a gift because then you're also opening yourself up to other points of view and, and, you know, people from different parts of the country or different things. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And two things that made me think of first and foremost, let me just thank you and say, that's, what's so great about sisters in crime. We're an organization who's not just fostering support of writers. You're giving us so much in terms of workshops and, um, An archive for those workshops and an opportunity to mix. You know, this is such a wonderful organization in that respect. This organization gets it. Um, The other thing that sparked is when you are with your community, like you're saying, you meet so many other people who are from different backgrounds, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. So if you are a writer who's trying to embrace the idea of, okay, I'm writing stories that are set in New York City, but I only ever have stories of this particular ethnic group, because that's all I know. Getting out, being part of your community will allow you to expand and give a more diverse look or a more colorful look at New York City. Because if you walk the streets of New York okay. City, you're not just going to see one type of person. So this is your way of being able to make those connections where you can ask questions about an accent or a dialect or a culture or ritual. Like it gives you so many avenues to grow. I just don't see why people would want to embrace a community like this one, particularly um, if they have it in their back pocket or on their doorstep.
0: Well, I appreciate the kind words about Sisters of Crime and, and as you can imagine I'm I'm a huge fan. But um there are also opportunities for um, to find a niche group so you know queer crime writers if you're a queer crime writer there's a group and so sometimes finding folks who are having the same struggles or having the same joy or being able to amplify each other um is a tremendous opportunity as well crime writers of color is another amazing organization that um that works in concert with great groups like sisters Mm -hmm. in crime to but but helps Embrace and support and and um, celebrate. Um, work in a different way. I, you know, we're all working towards writing and building a, a publishing world and a book world that looks like ours. Um, but they are roadblocks and, and I, you know, we, we need to be honest about that. Uh, and, you know, sisters in crime was founded to support women crime writers. We've been for, you know, a wide in the 10 since, but it's fascinating that 36, 37 years in we're not done. Right. right? (laughs) And (laughs) never mind other marginalized writers, um, or publishers or Mm -hmm. agents or, or folks. So, um, this is joyful work, but this is part of the work is, is expanding. And, you know, I hate to use this terminology, but, you know, blowing up what's possible (laughs) (laughs) um, for everybody. Uh, And that's part of the exciting part. But as you're looking for communities, also don't be afraid to sort of, you know, it's great to find a writer's group, but if you want to You need to have conversations with people who had like experiences, find those folks as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think that the, what what do you think? Do you think publishing has gotten better and more inclusive and more robust in the last few years? Do you feel like um, the roadblocks, you know, there was an attempt to be made, but is there follow through? What do you, how do you feel about, are you joyful about the future are you? Well, here's my
1: thing. You have to be joyful about the future because if you aren't, you're setting yourself up for failure. But um, my initial reaction to your question was, I think that the publishing industry has certainly grown more proactive and celebratory of uh, diverse voices. I think there's still a lot more to be done um, in terms of, at this point, not making it an other or a push or see what we've done, yeah. making it normal, part of yes. every
0: day. Um, of. And I think that's yeah. the next hurdle to overcome. Yeah. 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 I, I sometimes wonder if cozies uh, actually can play a bigger role or are playing a role in that, in the, in the, letting people into communities and understanding and, and seeing and and experiencing joy um, and, and having characters they care about who, you know, it's just normal. Yeah, I
1: feel <laughs> like normal. they are in many ways because there are so many writers who have, I don't want to say come on scene because they've already been there, but who have joyously and unabashedly Continued to add more of those right. elements to those stories in a way that, for lack of a better term, purists to the cozy community would say, "Well, that's not no, it's no longer a cozy." But they're like, "No, this is still a cozy, but this is a cozy focused on this idea or this concept or this culture or this um, feel or ethnic group or issue and." I think that that's really beautiful to see. And it's making, I think, the cozy term, which is probably why you asked this question, kind of feel outdated in a way. It's starting to feel yeah. very much so. Um, so. So, yeah, yeah. Not, not yeah. sure how much more I should say on that, but I, I think that is a really interesting, perhaps, topic for uh, another podcast, a different mm-hmm. podcast.
0: Yeah. Or for a conversation, Mm -hmm. for sure. I, 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 you know, it's, I, I, I loved when you said we need, it's, we can't other people, we need to, we're all humans Mm -hmm. together and, and embrace and celebrate and, and, um, but you don't, you know, we have commonalities and we have differences and that's the human condition. And so just, embrace the human condition and that's going to make everybody's true (laughs) and respect, you know, lead with kindness. I I think is also. So what are you working on now? I, you know, as we're recording this, it's summer. Um, and for, you know, as you said, for some folks, they think academics then, you know, lay on the beach all summer, but that is not true. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, so what are you working on now? Uh, Well,
1: We're putting together the final thoughts, the final edits, the finishing touches on the How to Craft Killer Dialogue book because that comes out August 31st. Um, And then uh, I'm looking to start a new story for Victoria Justice. Awesome.
0: Um, Well, I thank you for this great conversation. I feel like you and I could have kept talking for hours, but um, uh, this has been terrific. As I'm winding this up, what's I'm not even going to ask about the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten. What's the best piece? You've given so much great writing advice, but for, for emerging writers or for writers who need to be re-inspired, who are listening to this conversation, what's the best piece of advice you got for folks who are who need to feel the spark or to keep moving forward?
1: I would say don't compare your journey to anyone else's. This is something that's really easy to get caught up in because... We love scrolling through social media. We love watching YouTube. There are so many channels on our television. We have so many friends we can connect with online thanks to things like Zoom. And it's really easy to hear someone say they're doing this or they just won an award for that. Or they've made this goal to write a million words by the end of the year, and you feel like you're behind, or you feel like you're ahead, or whatever the case may be, don't compare yourself to someone else because they're running a different race. And whatever obstacles you're coming up against right now, those are the lessons you need to learn. Whatever joyous period you're having right now, that's the joy you need to celebrate all the hard work you've done up to this point. Don't allow yourself to be deterred or intimidated or over-inspired or underinspired about what's going on in the next lane. Focus on your journey because that journey is meant for you. And if you're not enjoying that journey, then what the heck are you doing?
0: Oh, that was great. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for, for that. I, that's what I needed to hear. And that is also a uh, tremendous advice for, for everybody. Um, Andrea, thank you so much for a great conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a
0: pleasure. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community.